opportunity at the end of this service today for people online or people in the room today that might need to make a brand new start and just have a new beginning and and uh, in terms of their relationship with with God maybe a friend brought you along today maybe a friend's got you watching online today or maybe you've just clicked in um, however you've you've turned up uh, we want to give you an opportunity today just to make a, a brand new start with God and establish relationship uh, with him today because I want you to know right from the outset God loves you God loves you and wants to be involved in your world in such a, a, a powerful significant and also uh, intimate way you know the weather forecast for today is storms did you hear that apparently everyone say apparently apparently there's a storm around today that's what the weather for i always like to turn on the weather and the news just to see what's apparently going to happen uh in the world today and i go to my app and i i look and see the weather forecast uh for this afternoon on one app and then i look at the uh the bomb map and just see exactly what's actually physically happening on the map and it just seems like everybody's a forecaster everyone's a forecaster and that is actually true everybody is a forecaster you're a forecaster today i'm a forecaster today we as a group as a family uh, as a church we're a forecaster today and so the the really important question that we need to ask of ourselves is this is what am i forecasting today what's my face forecasting what's your face forecasting is your face forecasting, come and approach me, I'm a friendly person, I'd like to have a chat. Or is your face forecasting, stay away from me, give me at least 10 meters, don't step into my zone. What's your face forecasting today? Have a look at your neighbor and tell them what their face is forecasting. Right now. What's a forecasting? Come on, we, we, we forecast, we, we, we forecast vibe, we have a vibe uh, around us and people pick up on those, uh, those little forecast signals uh, that we, we, we send out and I just want to declare straight up front today that I'm forecasting favour for you and favour for our church and favour upon us for this year. I'm, I'm forecasting, I'm, I'm, to use some biblical words, I'm declaring um, people like that word more or even prophesying and prophesying that today uh, and proclaiming that today uh, for us as a church we've declared this year to be a year of favor and I'm never going to stop like God never stops I'm never going to stop I'm never going to stop talking about it I have one series all year it's called favor it will come with different names but it is this that God wants to pour out his goodness and his favor and his blessing upon us in spite of every challenge every circumstance no matter what the clouds gather there's a little bit of lightning around there's a little bit of thunder around there's a little bit of hail there's a little bit of wind whatever's happening that we forecast the goodness and the favor of God I believe what will be hard what was hard will be held what was hard for us will be held by us I believe what was slow will be quick I believe for unusual, accelerated, advanced favor, unrivaled favor for all of us. I believe where we've sown in tears, we're going to reap in joy. Uh, it's a biblical principle, a biblical thought. What we've sown for in tears, we will reap in joy because we, we've participated in the journey of faith, of believing God for it. You know, one of the ways that favor increases in terms of 
uh, the church. And this is what I want to speak about today as I kind of close out this particular series on favor. One of the ways that favor increases on the church is that we learn as believers how to be the church, that we learn how to be the church. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about the favor of God that brings or comes or flows through every one of us to the church, because we've looked at how favor, the favor of God, flows through other people towards us. That God uses people, and God certainly uses people when it comes to favoring of his church and the favor of God that rests upon the church. And one of the ways that we learn to bring favor to the church is we learn to champion the church, and we learn to cheer on the church. And so I'm looking for some people that want to cheer on the church today. Uh, You know, I hear people cheer on their football team all the time. There was a discussion happening in our foyer this morning that went on for about half an hour. And I was sitting in my office, and all I could hear was these people talking about rugby league, about football, and every play and player and position and, and was being shared. And I'm sitting in my office trying to prepare my sermon, and all I could hear is this conversation. And I came out and I said to one of them, can you talk about the church? Can you talk about your faith? Can you, let's, let's talk that up. Let's cheer that on like, nothing wrong with cheering on your rugby league team as long as it's the Broncos <laughs> nothing wrong with that Steve as long as it's that team we cheer on our team we wear it loud and proud and the same with the church that we would champion the church of Jesus Christ and so I want us to all learn to see the good and say the good when it comes to the church not that it's perfect it's not because the church is perfect but we see the good and we say the good about the church and we bring and carry favor with us Do you know, the writers of the New Testament, particularly Paul, in his letters to the New Testament, he wrote to the believers of the day to teach them how to be family, because they needed to be taught how to be family. You see, they'd come from all kinds of different cultural backgrounds, and they had different customs and different practices. And these new believers, they were brought together by a commonness of the message uh, of Jesus. They were saved from their sins, but all of a sudden they had to build community and connection with each other. And they had some strange people in the room. How many of you know there's always strange people in the room? Look straight ahead right now. (laughs) I was going to say, you're looking at one of them. Um, You you are right now. Uh, There are are always some strange people in the room and people that have different ideas and concepts and custom practices, preferences, opinions, whatever it might be uh, that we have. And so we need some instruction on, on how to gather and how to get along and how to be the church. And that's what it was like in the early New Testament days. And so Paul wrote to them about how to treat each other, how to gather as a church, and how to be the church. Um, we don't quite find it as difficult today because many of us, even when we first come to church uh, uh, you know, or, or return to church, we've had a background in church or we had parents that went to church or we kind of know a little bit about what the church does. And so conceptually, we have a little bit of an advantage and a head start. But for the New Testament believers, they didn't have uh, really much of that at all. They had their own customs they were steeped in, their own practices practices, their own life rhythms, their own religion. 
that was based on a whole lot of rules in terms of having a relationship with God. And then along comes Jesus, the Son of God, with his message and the fact that he was crucified for the sins of the world and that he would be the one so that we could become the ones to be called the church, his church, those that were called out of darkness to belong to God and to live in his light. And Paul writes about us being family. Paul writes about us being gathered together unto Jesus, serving him, loving him, living in relationship with Jesus. And so with all of that in mind, look at what Paul writes to Timothy, uh, his son in the faith, uh, who is pastoring a great church. He writes to him about all of the different behaviors that should happen in the family of God. And he says this, he says, then even if I'm delayed, because he was planning a trip to see Timothy, he said, even if I'm delayed, he says, you will know how to live in the family of God. Why did he say that? Because they didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't know. And that's our problem. We don't know what we don't know. And we need someone to help us know that, find that, discover that, so we can adjust that. So Paul says, I write to you so you'll know how to live in the family of God. And then he says, that family, everyone say that family. That family is the church of the living God. Now, I hear people say the church is not important. The church doesn't really matter. These are believers that say that, or apparently believers. The church doesn't matter. The church isn't important. Can I suggest to you the church is important to God? Can I suggest that? Can I suggest the church was important to the apostle Paul? Can I suggest it was important to those New Testament believers? And here Paul says, that church is the family of the living God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and the foundation of truth. The support and the foundation of truth. So Paul wrote, so that believers would know how to gather, but not only gather, how to live in the family of God. He talks to them about life. He talks to them about leadership. And he tells them, If you want to be a leader in the church, then this is what should happen in terms of the selection of these leaders in church life. He wrote, this is how you be family. This is how you do the family journey and how you function in the family of God. Then in Ephesians, Paul writes again, he says this, and this is important for us to appreciate today. He says, now you who are not Jewish are not foreigners or strangers any longer, but you're citizens together with God's holy people and you belong to God's family. So he says this, you're no longer foreigners. If you're a Jew in that day, you belonged in the house and the family of God. But if you're a Gentile, which is everyone else, if you're a Gentile, like we're Gentiles, there was a time when you didn't belong. Paul says, now in Christ, because of everything that Jesus did when he died and gave his life on the cross and rose again, because of all of that, you now do belong. So once I didn't belong, but now I do belong, and I'm a citizen, Paul says, along with God's holy 
people. So I'm preaching today to a whole bunch of people that belong. No matter what, what race you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the culture, no matter where you're born, no matter your postcode, no matter your socioeconomic situation, no matter your gender, no matter your age, no matter who you are today, as a believer in Jesus, you belong in the family of God. You belong. It's an issue for us to settle. There's a place where I belong. I belong in the family of God. I belong in the household of God. I belong as a part of the church. Now, the New Testament, as you read through it, what you discover, particularly with the epistles, the letters that were written to the churches to help them be the church, what you discover is that the verbiage is all around helping people to understand how to function as a church family. It's kind of like... When you're newlyweds and you get married and then you have your first baby, it's all a journey. Like you, you don't really understand in practice how to be a mother and how to be a father and how to be a family because you're just a young couple or whatever that were in love, enjoying each other's company, and all of a sudden there's another human being living in your home. And a very needy human being is going to drive you crazy in terms of caring for them. And you're going to have to learn to share a whole lot more and give a whole lot more and love a whole lot more in that journey of discovering what it is to be family. And that thought of being family, you can't ever park on it. Like, it's not like you've got the family thing worked out and that's you good and done, you've done that, move on. Uh, you're forever working on that. How many people have discovered that through the seasons of life? Like, my family is in a very different stage to what my family was when they were all young and when they were all little. When they were young and little, it was great because we could tell them what to do and they would do it. But now they're old, they have their own mind. And uh, they, they're adulting now. They're making their own choices. They're making their own decisions. They're cutting their own path. But we're still family. We're still family. It's just we kind of move and develop in the role play of how that all works out. So you can never park on the thought that we've got the family thing worked out. And it's the same in church. One of the dangers in church life is this. When you first come to church and you first connect with the church, oh, it's wonderful. It's awesome. It's fan- Everything is amazing. Uh, the, the worship is the best worship I've ever been in. The, the praise is the best praise. The presence of God is absolutely amazing. But after you've been here for a while, see, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. I know this goes for five minutes. He goes for three minutes. That's two minutes. He goes for an hour and a half preaching. And uh, then we're out the door. And, and, you know, we kind of work the systems and understand how everything goes. And it can all become a little bit case sarah, sarah and you know they they won't miss me if I miss a weekend they won't miss me if I miss a month they won't miss me if I miss six months you know Um, and and yet when we first come it's like you're hungry for everything you know there's no matter what's advertised you're there you just turn up you show up you go to prayer meetings like wow really Um, you you go to women's things you go to men's things and and men go to women's things and women go to men's things and you know we just we we just go because we just want to be everywhere anywhere around people you turn up at connect group you might go to two or three in a week you're given an offering but after years and years and years of doing it you've kind of got to recalibrate you've got to refresh 
You've got to refresh yourself in the why you do what you do in terms of being a church family. And so this verbiage is right throughout the New Testament epistles, trying to help people understand how to be the church. Uh, You know, this place uh, that we call uh, the house of God and gathering together as the, because we all understand that the church is not the building, although it is the building in a sense, because to our community, it's the building, but to us, it's the people. And, And so they both kind of work in my thought. The church is both the building, but it's also the people. The people are how God sees the church. God doesn't care what barn you meet in. He just cares that the family come together as a collective, that we are a collective in the way that we think about who we are so in this place you will learn things you don't necessarily learn in the world you will learn different things you will learn things that are counter to what you're taught uh, in the ways of the world and that's the way it should be because the bible says we are in this world but we are not of this world it doesn't mean that we're aliens it just means that we have we, we have a different directive we have a different um uh, leader we have a a different influence uh, being the spirit of god that leads us and directs us and coaches us and convicts us and and helps us in terms of the pathway uh that we take so paul the the apostle when he writes these letters to the churches um non-jewish people was his thought in the church are no longer foreigners so the gentiles are are no longer foreigners they're no longer strangers they're now included can i just highlight for all of us that the relationship that we have with god the, the 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 fact that it's all based on relationship means that it's all included for us it's not just one particular special group even though God did have that one particular special group. He's now broadened the promises of God for every one of us. Whereas when something is based on rules, it's really rugged. When something is based on rules, that your belonging is based on you keeping the rules, you abiding by the rules, you maintaining the rules, you knowing the rules, then the relationship is hit and miss because you never quite know whether you've done enough. You never quite know whether you're good enough. You never quite know whether you've measured up, whether you've wore the right clothes or you didn't get the email, you know, or you got the wrong hair or you got the wrong job or you got the wrong postcode because that's what rules are all about. Rules are about uh, how you live in that regard. Whereas relationship with Christ is all about the fact of what Jesus has done for us internally works its way out in terms of our external presentation, our external being, our external thought processes and behaviors, uh, the external change that happens in our life. It's all about relationship. So before Christ, before Jesus came along, anyone who was not a Jew was a foreigner and a stranger to the promises and the purposes of God. And we would have been considered, unless you're a Jew, we would have been considered to be outsiders, whereas Paul's saying, you're no longer an outsider, you're now an insider, you are now family. And so we were foreigners, but now we are family. You know, when an athlete Like if we go to talking about rugby league again or or your favorite sport, whatever your sport is, when an athlete changes teams, everything changes. 
And I don't know whether you've ever had that. Your favorite player has gone, gone and joined another team. Like they might have gone from the Brisbane Broncos and, and joined the Dolphins. And uh, now they're a fins up player. And uh, it's strange to see them playing on another team because all of a sudden they've got another jersey. They're not wearing the Broncos jersey anymore. They're wearing the uh, Redcliffe Dolphins uh, jersey now. They're under new leadership now. They have a new owner now. They have a new coach now, a new voice that's speaking into them. They have new teammates and they develop new rhythms, new life patterns because of the way that team does it when they gather and they now play according to a different plan from the old team and when they leave the old team they have nothing to do with the old team they leave the old team because they've joined a new team the bible teaches us that we are on a new team that if anyone belongs to christ he is a new creation all the old has passed away and behold everything becomes new so it's literally like we wear a new jersey i'm not who i was i'm a new man i'm a new person i'm a new human because of what jesus has done and is doing inside of me and so are you that's the good news of the gospel of what jesus has done for us so being a god follower makes us team with god's family we're team together this is team church we're, this is our team we need to champion our team we need to champion our cause and cheer it on because we are part of god's family and part of his team and we're no longer on the other team if you're in christ you have a new owner if you're in christ we you understand that his blood paid for your sin as the bible says and you now wear the jersey of being on his team you play by his plan you play by his book now he's now the voice that is coaching and directing you and you have other new team mates you know the problem with all of that is this for the modern day church the problem is that many who claim to be god followers they haven't really joined the team they haven't really got the realization, the revelation, the understanding, the wisdom that they actually belong to a new team. You know, they think they're playing, but they're not because they're not identified clearly on a team. Like some people that follow God say this, well, you know, the church really doesn't matter. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to belong to the family of God and my question is if that's true what do you belong to because there's no apparent belonging there's no apparent connection there's no apparent life source for you why would you not belong to the one thing that Jesus said he's building where Jesus said that's your family where Jesus said that's the place for you this is what I uh, I birthed when I gave my life to redeem you from your sin uh, for some, they would say, well, giving's not important and serving's not important and gathering's not important. Well, I dare say the Bible would disagree with us. I dare say the Bible would introduce the thought that giving is important, serving is important, and gathering is important because we're family. Yeah. See, it's important to me as a father that my family come home and gather. Yeah. 
And life is never better than when your family is at your table as a father, as a mother. Like those special moments that happen several times a year when all the family are there, be it Christmas, be it Easter, be it a birthday, uh, be it whatever. To have all the family there gathered around your table, it's just a great thing. When one of them's not there, it's not quite the same because one's missing. And Jesus talked about that in a parable about the sheep, the 99 sheep. And he said, well, the 99 are here safe, but there's one missing, so I'm going to go and look for it. You know, the one is important to God. So the one that says, well, church isn't important, they're important to God. God's looking for that one because church is actually very important. It is your family. It is your spiritual family. It is the household of God. So the Bible teaches us that we were, but now we are. We were, but now we are. In other words, there's a transition that must happen when we become a believer. Some things have to change. If nothing changes, then nothing's changed. Nothing's changed if nothing's changed. The Bible talks about change that happens in the way we think, change that happens in the way that we live. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says it this way, when he talks of the church, when he talks of us, li- listen to the verbiage, listen to the, the lofty titles and uh, thoughts that Peter throws out, inspired by the Holy Spirit about who we are as believers. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The next verse says this, once you were not a people. That's speaking about us. Once we were not. Once we were not a people, but now you are the people. Everyone say that. I am the people. I am the people. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people. The people of what? We are the people of God. We are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what we are in God's eyes. In God, this is how God sees you. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, chosen and selected by God, adopted into his family called out of darkness you're off the dark team and you're on the light team is what the word of God says you're on a totally different team get your jersey on your jersey of praise your jersey of worship your jersey of fellowship and connection and community and serving and giving and sharing and witnessing and praying and that's the jersey that we wear it's the jersey of light There's a a new jersey that we wear on this new team. And so my thought is, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Why is this important? Because the Bible speaks of our collective identity as believers. In that we are God's family, we are the church. Now, now we're not the church, but we're part of the church, the broader worldwide church and family of God. But there's also the localized. There's the big and the small that makes up the big. And so we're part of that. It's our collective identity that we have together locally, but also our collective identity 
right across the board, across the nations of the world. So once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Who are we? We are the church. We are the church, and we need it, and we should, and we must, and we have to champion the church. We need to turn the tables on this thing because there's so many critics of the church. There's so many that are combative to the church. There's so many that are there to criticize and pull down and destroy the house of God. We need to turn the tables on it. Turn the tables on that before they turn the temple. If we don't turn the table on that, they will turn this temple. They will turn it. They will turn the church over if we don't cheer on the church and champion the church and love the cause of the church. So I'm here to inspire you today that favor comes as we do that, as we cheer on the church and as we champion the church. When we understand that we have a collective identity, not an individual identity, when we understand this, that we are a collective, we are a family, we are a group, we are the church, we start to view things a little bit differently. And we'll be a little bit slower to criticize the collective, no matter where it is in the world, no matter what it's doing in the world. The church always has had problems. It always has had difficulties. It always has had fault. It always has had that. It's always had things go wrong. That's not a reason for me to stand up and be a voice to criticize, for me to condemn, and for me to be combative. I'm here to champion. I'm here to cheer the church of God. It's not about the music they play. It's not about the presentation they have. It's not about the number that go along. It's about the fact that they are family. I mean, we don't boo-hoo someone because they have one child. Or like the Brookses. They have a whole team, which is wonderful, Jeff and Macalita. It's wonderful. It's not about the size. It's about the fact that you're family. See, we were a family as soon as we birthed our first child, Danielle, who's here today. We, we became a family at that moment. And then we had more. But we're still called family. So it's not about a matter of being a big church or a middle church-sized church or a, a little church. It's just you're the church and love it and cheer it on because in the eyes of God, it is beautiful. When you understand the collective identity of the church, you're, you're very cautious about becoming combative within the church. And you're careful about distancing yourself from the family of God that God has placed you in. And you understand that being part of family calls for consistency. It calls for bigness. It calls for adulting. I've made a friend in the last few years who started coming to our cafe a few years ago. And he would come with his, I think it's his relative, they would come and they'd sit in our cafe and they used to watch them. They'd have plans out. They'd be looking over things and and uh, they were from a different nationality and, and I could hear that in their language and in their conversation and it was fairly strong, uh, the, 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 the conversation in terms of their dialect and the way they would talk and everything like that. And it took me a little while to introduce myself to them and I discovered, because he would look at me every time I came into the cafe, every time I walked in, he would look at me with that look that says, I want to say hello to you, but you're not saying hello back yet, so he didn't. And so one day we, we both sort of 
caught each other and said hello and I discovered that he's a pastor and I'm a pastor so all of a sudden it's oh wow we're best friends now because like we're both pastors that means we have something in common uh, here and he pastors a church in our city he's actually the state director for the Baptist uh, organization in uh, Queensland and he pastors down at Meadowbrook his name is Pastor Emil Rabinoff and he is the Slavic Baptist Church pastor down on logan lee road at meadowbrook he is a character you know in his church he has russians in his church he has a large population of russian people problem is he also has a large population of ukrainian people go figure that's an exciting church to belong to i mean i'm not sure you're totally aware of it but there's a war going on in our world between the russians and the ukrainians they're not exactly friends at the moment they're throwing bombs on each other on the other side of the world in their land but these people that are in australia now that once were that they're not that anymore they're now on another team so they might be russian and they might be ukrainian but when they're in the church they're citizens of a higher kingdom. They wear a different jersey. They're not throwing bombs in church. It doesn't mean they don't carry the hurt and the pain of what their nationality is and nation is going through. But when they're in the house of God, they understand, hey, I'm in church with these Russians. I'm in church with these... U- Imagine pastoring that. Imagine pastoring that kind of conflict and walking people through that. It's really challenging to do that, but there's a a book called the Bible that helps pastors, apparently. It only helps if if we listen. Like, it only helps if we listen, but it helps. And so it helps bring the Ukrainians and the Russians together and for them to be at peace in the family. Because there's nothing worse when there's a warring family. There's nothing worse when there's a fighting family. There's nothing worse when there are differences in the family. And there will always be differences in the family. I can't keep everyone in this house happy. I struggle to keep anybody happy. It's a struggle. So I don't try and keep anyone happy. I'm just going to be happy myself. Because I kind of figure if the pastor's happy, one or two might be happy. If I try and keep you happy, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. You won't feel like I call you enough or do this enough. Or that's, that's always going to happen. Like the best of dads have it said to them at some point, you were never home enough. You were never home enough. You're always at work. You know, I was always at work because I was earning money to feed you. I was always at work because I was earning money so that you would have clothes. You know those braces that we put in your mouth? You know who paid for them? You hearing me? Who feels that? You don't have to admit it, but I think every, every, every parent in the room kind of feels that. There's a price to pay that young ones don't necessarily understand the why of why you do. Well, I mean, we'd all like to stay at home and be rich. I haven't worked out how to do that yet. I haven't worked out how just to stay at home, do nothing, go to the beach, and yet have millions of dollars. 
It's, it's been hard work from day one. Any friends? I haven't found that pot at the end of the golden rainbow yet. The, the rainbow. Pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I, haven't, I can't even say it. I haven't found that yet. I found that the, the golden pot is at the end of a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline. And I don't expect that little ones necessarily understand that. But what I want them to know is I went to work there for them, to help them, to help us. That's what we do. That's why we do what we do. So in church life, there's, there's not this thought of we've we got to keep everyone happy. Not my job to keep you happy. That's God's job. Talk to God about that. Go to heaven about that. Ask God about that. And God will talk to you. He'll set you straight. He'll work it out for you. He'll help you. He'll show you what attitudes should be and what heart thoughts should be adjusted because we're on a new team. We live by a new book. We have a new coach. And uh, we, we, we now have someone new, a new voice guiding us and directing us and authority over us. So favor for the church comes as we learn to champion the church and as we learn to cheer the church. Favor comes on us when we know how to be that. Favor in a church is never a matter of, of a, a congregation having the attitude, come on, impress us, show us what you got. My pastoral team... My staff, my people that work with me together in team, they're not magicians. They don't pull rabbits out of hats. This is not a show. Uh, They're not snake oil salesmen. That's not what they do. They're people that love God and love you. They're people that love God and serve you. And so they're people that will get alongside you and have conversations and coach you and even challenge you. And the Bible talks about this, that part of the role of ministry in in terms of restoring people is occasionally even to rebuke people. Now, I don't line up to rebuke people, but I don't shy away from it either. But my record of rebuking has never been good. My record with rebuking is that nobody likes being rebuked. It's like children when you discipline them. The Bible says you discipline a child because you love a child like God disciplines us because he loves us. That's what a parent does. And it's the same in church life. If I've got to speak to Stu because Stu's out of line, I've never had to speak to Stu. He's the nicest guy I've ever met um, beside all the other men in the room. Um, A real nice guy. But if I had to speak to Stu because he was just being silly in the head and he's being stupid, and Vicky came to me and said, look, can you speak to Stu? He's being stupid. He's just doing stupid. And I go, okay, I'll speak to him. I'll speak to him because that's what a pastor does. So I come up to Stu and say, Stu, you're stupid. Stu, stop, stop doing stupid. Stu, Vicky told me that this needs to change. Well, what do you think would rise up in Stu's heart? I'll tell you what rises up in Stu heart, Stu's heart. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I'm not going to your church anymore. Stu would find a new church and walk away thinking he's blessed. Well, he's not. He's stupid. Everyone say, that would be stupid. Stupid Stu. Don't be like Stu. Now, fortunately... Stu is none of those things and he's going to forgive me for everything I just said and is now recorded for posterity forever we'll talk after the meeting my shout for lunch whatever you want it's on me for the rest of the year no it's you know that whole rebuking thing like it's in the bible 
Um, but apparently some people don't want it in there. So I thought I'd just rip that page out. No, I won't. <laughs> you know, that's, that stuff's in there. That's what family does. Um, I don't know a father in the room that hasn't had to have a conversation, hasn't had to have a conversation with one of their teenagers. And if you hadn't, you should. And maybe a mother in the room that hasn't had to have a conversation with their daughter or their son or a friend in the room that hasn't had to have a conversation with another friend. That's what we do. Why do we do that? Because we care. See, if we didn't care, do what you like. As a parent, do what you like. You go wherever you want. Hang with whoever you want to. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Stay out for a week. Here's $1,000. Waste it any way you like. Get wasted. What would that be? That'd be stupid. That'd be irresponsible for a parent to do that. Because a parent leads by example. A parent speaks into the example of what they want. And so... When it comes to church, favor comes as we learn how to gather and be family and unite as a church and be the church in the eyes, in the same way that the eyes of God sees the church, that we would love the church the same way. I've been in church long enough and so have you. Uh, I've been coming to church since I was a young boy, probably eight years of age that I can remember. Started going to a Baptist church. That was great and and did that for a few years and then ended up in this thing called the Pentecostal church, which was like, woo, this is different, and uh, stayed in this thing. And here we are today, all these years later. So I've loved church. I've seen some silly things happen in church life. I've seen some crazy things happen in church life. I've seen some stupid things happen in church life. But in it all, I've just wanted to cheer it on, understanding it's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than what's out there. It's a whole lot better than any other option B, and I don't see an option B that God gave. And so we are called to champion the church. The church will always have its critics. It always will. The critics will criticize. The doubters will doubt. The cynics will be cynical. The haters will hate. But the believers, what the believers will do, they will champion the church. That's what we are to do. We are to be the ones that champion the church. We are the champions, my friends. We are the ones that are called to champion the church. It's what we do. It's who we are. So let me just share with you several thoughts you can take a photo of this five ways we are to champion the church don't panic it won't take long five ways to champion the church number one stand up for the church stand up for the church by identifying with the church this is my church this is our church this is not pastor t's church this is my church this is our church that's our verbiage we see the good in church and we pray and speak blessing over the church, and we are favor forecasters. We forecast the favor of God for the church. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, to the church, we always thank God for you. We always thank, not when we, we always thank God for you. So the first thing we do is we stand up for the church. That's how we 
bring favor to the church. Secondly, we share the responsibility of our church by praying for it. We pray for its growth. We pray for it to grow. We pray by inviting the unchurched. So we pray that we would become inviters. We, we also create welcoming environments with everything that we do. That same verse to the church, we always thank God for you and we continually, we continually mention you in our prayers. There's other verses, I'm not going to read them, you can take a photo of them. So we share the responsibility of our church. Thirdly, we strengthen the unity of our church. In other words, we concentrate on the things that unify, not the things that separate. We concentrate on the things that bring family together. We concentrate on those things. We encourage and we build each other up. We encourage each other. We speak well of each other. We build up other people. Thirdly, we follow our leaders. We follow our leaders. That's what we do. It's part of the structure of how we're called to be family. Romans 14, 19 says, in this way, aim for harmony in the church or unity and try to build each other up. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And then Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. I love it when my job is a joy. I love that. That day was wonderful. It's not always a joy. Sometimes it is, a, like your job, like whatever job you do, everyone has that. There are days you go to church it's like, or, or to your job, it's like, fantastic, wonderful. I love doing this. And there's other days like, what the heck? Really? Do I have to do this? Do, is, is that what I have to do today? Like, Lord, why? You want your leader's job to be a joy. To, and the, the truth is, we make it a joy. We make it a joy by working well together with each other and for each other. So we strengthen the unity of the church. When we do that, it brings favor to the church. It brings favor, God's favor to the church through us in the way that we behave. Fourthly, support the mission of the church. That, I break that down into very simple thoughts by attending regularly. Um, coming regularly, being consistent in that. Things like connect groups, belonging in those things that help encourage to build community. And, and some people think with that, well, Tuesday nights don't work for me. I do this or I do... Find a way to connect. Uh, we don't always need a structure. We don't always need it to be a program. You can connect with people. You can gather people. You can, you can let us know what you're doing and just enjoy meals together, share communion together, pray together, believe together, cheer on your church together in gatherings, in homes, do that kind of thing. And then secondly, the, the, the responsibility of support through the giving of our tithes and our offerings uh, consistently. Uh, this is not a biblical thought. It's a biblical command. It's not even a biblical suggestion. It's a biblical imperative is what it is. If we don't turn the table on this thing, they will turn the temple on this uh, for us. That This is the supply of God for the house of God, that there might be food in the house of God to do the job of ministry. So we support the mission of our church. Thank you to all the wonderful people that do support. Why don't you give every one of those and all those that try to and want to and will. We, we, we are so thankful uh, for that. Support the mission of the church. Do I have another one? I think I must. 
Um, serve as part of the team. Serve as part of the team. Church is family. Church is also team. And every part is an important part. Every part is an important part. There's some important parts walking up on the stage right now. These important parts are responsible for our praise and our worship and our singing and, and all of that that happens uh, in our public services. And that's an important part that they play. There's other important parts. There's important parts that prepare the room. There's important parts that serve communion to us. Uh, there's important parts that serve on the Ask Me desk area, in the tech room for what goes online. Uh, there's important parts that uh, are in the kitchen preparing for hospitality. Administratively, there's important parts. <clears throat> Service team-wise, there's important parts. Kids ministry-wise, youth ministry-wise, young adult ministry-wise, connect group leadership-wise. There's all kinds of important parts that happen in church life. Whatever you do, it's important. And all of us are called to participate in some way, serving in the house of God, but also in the community uh, in some way. And, and maybe, maybe your serving can't be in here for whatever reasons. There's no reason why it can't be out there uh, shining your light. And so we do this by discovering our gifts, discovering our talents, and understanding that the Bible says God has given you a particular gift that God has given you. So serve each other with it. What's your gift? I don't know what your gift is. I know what mine is. I don't know what yours is, but can I say this? There is nothing better than seeing a person discover their gift, what they're here for and what they do. There's a sense we all have a service gift. Well, I don't particularly have a gift to take out rubbish bins. <clears throat> I just made that comment because you'll notice there's about seven rubbish bins on our footpath today, which should never happen on a Sunday but they weren't collected this week. So we're just leaving them out there as a statement to the people that should have collected them who came to our facility twice and has neglected to take them. And so we're just leaving them out there until they do get collected today. But it's not particularly my gift to take rubbish bins out or press the rubbish down on them. But this week I had to do that. Don't you love that job? When the rubbish bin is overflowing... And I thought, if I leave that, I'm going to come in tomorrow and Pastor Darrell's going to be most upset because he's going to have to pick it up. So to save Pastor Darrell, because he doesn't have that gift either. He's not real good at that. So I don't want him picking up the rubbish. So I pressed it down. And the smell and the stuff that come out of there, you don't want to know about it's not a gift that's simply a responsibility but there is a gift that I have there's a gift that you have and the gift you have doesn't mean I won't press the rubbish down if it needs pressing I'll press it if it needs cleaning I'll clean it and then I'll look for and wait for the opportunity to bring my gift to help people because the gift is always there to help people I want you to know in our church, one of the reasons we do Grow Track on what we're doing tonight and the reason I've spoken about what I'm speaking about today is as an introduction to our growth track because we're here to grow people. We're here to teach people like Paul was when he wrote epistles and letters to the church. You see, 
we don't do that today in this modern day and age like the church at large is really not interested in getting a letter from me like if I wrote to Wayne Elkhorn's church at the top of the hill they're probably not really interested in that letter of me instructing them on how to be the church although I do have some thoughts to share I have done that by the way I wrote to the church I wrote to an entire movement and I talked to them about caring for their pastors and coaching their pastors and looking after their mental health and made some suggestions because I've done work in that field. I've done study in that field. And let's just say they didn't exactly respond back with, thank you. So no one's interested in getting that. But for this church here, we put the mail out for the kind of team that we are going to be, for the way we're going to do the journey. And the way we do the journey is to understand above everything else that Jesus is the hope and the center of everything that we are and everything that we do. And if we ever just come to church for all the good things that a church does and the church can be and the church can do for us, then we've missed base one. And the problem with missing base one is every other base relies on going through base one. No man can come to the Father, Jesus said, unless they come through me. In other words, no one can have peace with God. No one can have relationship and connection with God unless they come through what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. So my invitation for every one of us today is to make that decision our absolute priority would you stand with me please right across the room today if you're online today would you just lean in for just a moment i said at the start of our conversation today i was going to give a moment and an opportunity for people to make a decision for a brand new start in their journey and their relationship with god today meaning that if you're not yet part of the family of God if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ you've not yet come to a point of saying yes to God and asking him to become the savior of your soul can I say to you as good as coming to church is and as good as participating online is for you and what it does for you and the things you're going to learn we only really learn about God and we only really grow in the things of God as we firstly have our sins forgiven and we're made right by God. Favor starts as an issue of the heart and the mind where Jesus comes and we know that we are forgiven of our failure. We are forgiven of our sin. That's where this starts. And the good news is that's something that you don't have to do because he's already done it. And this is where he wants to include you in the family. He wants to include you in the family by calling you a son, calling you a daughter, forgiving you of your sins. So if you're in the room today, I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift up your hand nice and high. And I'm conscious that the majority of people in this room today have already made this decision. But I want to put this decision out there because I'm also conscious that there's a few that need to that need to. And today could be your day. Today could be your moment to make Jesus Lord of your life, to put that jersey on, to put on the jersey of knowing that you're made right with God and have your sins forgiven, to put on the jersey of, I want to be a God follower. I want to be a believer. I want to play for a different team. I'm not just going to come and watch this team. I'm going to come and be this team. 
part of the church, part of the family of God, a son and daughter of God. If you're online today and you want to make this decision, I'm going to ask you in the chat section right now just to put pray for me. And one of our team will contact you and help you in regards to that decision. This is the most important decision you can make in your life to start this journey of new beginnings with Jesus. And maybe you've made it a long time ago and you're well away from that point of decision now and you're not practicing that and you want to come home and make this a fresh start right now. I'm going to ask you in a moment to lift your hand and then I'm going to pray for you. And after I prayed for you, I just want to say a quick hello to you at the end of the service. So we're going to dismiss everybody. And I want to welcome you down the front here. I just want to shake your hand and welcome you in terms of the decision that you've made today. So while we've got every head bowed, please, every eye closed, just in this moment, if that's you today, and this is your moment, your opportunity, your time to make the decision to ask God to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, to make you right with him and get you on the pathway of that journey where things start to change in your life because of the fact that you ask God to become the leader of your life and the Lord of your life, the redeemer of your life. If that's what you ask him to do, he will do that. He will work with you as you work with him. He will cooperate with you as you cooperate with him. If that's the decision you want to make today and need to make today, while no one's looking around, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand nice and high and let me see your hand and then I'll ask you to put it down. If that's you today, why don't you lift up your hand nice and high right now. Let me see your hand right across this auditorium. If you're online right now in the chat, just put pray for me and we're going to pray for you today. If you're in the room today, lift up your hand. Let me see your hand. Let me pray for you today and introduce God to you and you to God and for you to know that you're forgiven. You once were, but you now are. You once were not, but you now and forever are. Last time, if you're in the room today, lift up your hand. Let me see your hand. Let me pray for you today. And then we're going to pray for people. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for people today that need to make a decision to get right with you, that need to make a decision to come into the family of God, to put on their team jersey, to know that they're forgiven of their sin, to know that they're made right with you, God. The only way they can come to you is through you and through your son, Jesus, and everything that he did and achieved on Calvary. And so I pray today, help people to make that decision online, in the room today, to get it right, to make it right with God. And for the rest of us, help us to be the church. Help us to cheer on the church. Help us to champion the church in the way we live, in the way we do life, but particularly the way we do this life together as a collective, as the church of the living God, our family, because you are worthy of it all. Let's sing this together as we conclude today. He's worthy of it all. Worthy. You are worthy of it all.
God bless you, church. Enjoy being the church. Enjoy being the church and doing church, cheering on, championing it every day, every single day. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you to our online family today. Have an amazing week. Food co-op is open. Hospitality in the cafe is open. Why don't you have some hang time? Just enjoy connecting with each other. Thank you. God bless. Don't forget, girls, to register for the high tea for next Saturday morning at the Ask Me desk. Thank you.